right. Sam Flat, Tob Tobiah, Geshem, Shem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that, that I had finished re rebuilding the wall and that no, no guests remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sam Balat and Geshem sent us asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done, and remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. Thank you. You may be seated. We did it eight weeks. Yeah. Eight weeks of hard names to pronounce. But we did it. Good job, Brad. And all the readers for the last eight weeks. Uh, hey, my name's Jason. I'm the pastor here, and uh, glad that you're here today. Um, whether this is your first time or you've been here a really long time, uh, we're glad that you're here. And uh, what we've been doing over these last eight weeks is we have been reading through the story, the Old Testament story of Nehemiah. We're calling these sermons, How to Begin Again, Again. And the reason we threw that second again in there is because we know that anything worthwhile that you've ever tried to do in your life Anything that you are wanting to rebuild or make better, you never get it right the first time. You fail, you struggle, you, you are harder on yourself than anybody else is. You know, you're more negative and pessimistic about yourself. And then what happens is we get discouraged and we don't even know if it's worth trying again because it's never worked in the past. Why would it work now? And uh, we've learned, you know, Proverbs tells us that the godly fall seven times, but they get up again. And so we want to just keep trying again, begin again, again, 
not get discouraged because God does have something great he wants to do in our lives. And so we've been learning from Nehemiah because Nehemiah is a story about rebuilding. Now, uh, contextually, the story of Nehemiah is a lot more than just about building again. It's about Jewish history and it's about uh, all kinds of covenant things with God. And that's worth talking about, but we're not doing that for this series. What we're doing for this series is just taking principles from the story. We're looking at this story and just taking a few principles that learn because Nehemiah was able to go and rebuild something that was ruined. God sent him on a mission, gave him a burden, and he responded to that. And he went and he rebuilt something that was ruined. And we have things in our life that we want to rebuild that are ruined. Uh, Maybe it's marriages or relationship with kids or our physical health or our financial health, or definitely at least in that is our spiritual condition. Maybe you're here today and you would say, at one time, I felt like I was close to God. At one time, I felt like I was growing in my faith. But now, because of my choices or something that's happened to me in my life or any different number of factors, I'm just not where I want to be or where I should be or where I could be. And so I would at least, Jason, like to rebuild that. I think that's probably the most important thing that we could rebuild. But we have so many things in our life we're wanting to rebuild. Nehemiah is teaching us principles. We've just been taking little principles, uh, kind of a 30,000-foot view of this story of Nehemiah. And I'm just going to recap for you really quick the the principles we've taken out. You ready? Here we go. In case this is your first time, I'm just going to kind of tell you where we've been. First week, we talked about taking ownership. Things will not get better as long as we stay in denial. So we've got to take ownership. Second week, we talked about asking for God's help. If it matters to us, it matters to God. We want to talk to God about that. The third week, we talked about the spiritual discipline of secrecy, which most people don't know about, but it is a spiritual discipline that just means we go about our business without bringing attention to ourselves. We want to do more than we talk about what we're going to do, which is rare these days. The fourth week, we talked about how our work is for God's glory. It's not just for us. It's not for us to build our name or to gain attention, that we want to do things that matter to God, and we want to do them for the reasons that matter to God. We're doing it for God's glory. The fifth week, we talked about being a non-anxious presence in the middle of overly emotional people. Then that resonated with a lot of people that week because we live in a crazy world. We are the crazy world, by the way. It's not just them, it's us. And uh, you're sitting by somebody overly emotional and crazy right now. Uh, And so we want to be a non-anxious presence Uh, In the middle of that, some of y'all are getting yourself in trouble. Um, The next week, we talked about the importance of enthusiasm, that things get better when we have enthusiasm about what it is that we're trying to do, that pessimistic people don't get things done, cynical people don't get things done, but it's the enthusiastic people. And then last week, we talked about leading by example, that things just don't get better in time, that if you're going the wrong direction, all time does is make it worse that things get better when people do better. We want to do better. We saw that in Nehemiah. And so it's been, it's been a fun thing to talk about, a, a good series for us. And this last week, we're going to look at uh, the importance of character and integrity. That's what these verses that Brad read to us uh, can teach us, is the importance of character and integrity. Character and integrity. And um, I love this topic because actually, I know preachers say this all the time, but I promise it. Of Nehemiah, am I going in and out here? In the story of Nehemiah, this is actually my favorite part of the story. I don't know how many people would pick this part as the favorite part of the story, but this is my favorite part of the story because Nehemiah comes up against criticism. He comes up against people trying to um, intimidate him, but he makes a statement 
That's my favorite part of the story. He says, not one thing you said about me is true. I love that. And I love that verse. And I've tried to uh, embrace that verse for myself. I want to be the kind of person who lives with character and integrity so that yes, people will say things about you or people will try to discredit you, but you know the truth. And the truth is that you're living with character and integrity. I love this part of, of the story. But when you talk about character and integrity, It's a little bit of a delicate balance when it comes to Christians and the Christian life, because the Christian life in a lot of ways is a contradiction. We've talked about this before when we talked through Galatians, but this is something that a lot of people misunderstand about Christianity. The misconception about Christianity is that Christians have worked out all their issues, that they don't struggle or that they don't sin. But of course, we know that's not true. Maybe you've had people say that, like, oh, I thought you were a Christian when you did something wrong. C.S. Lewis talks a lot about this in Mere Christianity when he talks about people attack Christianity by saying, well, I know non-Christians who are way better than a lot of Christians I know. And C.S. Lewis says, put a name to it. Don't just talk in generalities, like who are we talking about and where are they at in their life? And maybe they're on their way out or maybe they're on the way in. We don't know what's happening in people's hearts, but we have this misconception that if you are in church now or you're a Christian, you've got all your problems worked out and you don't struggle anymore and you don't sin. And we know that that's not true. What it means to be a Christian is that you are a saved sinner. You are both things at the same time. That living inside of you right now is a sinful nature that is working to sabotage your life. But also inside of you is a new heart from God and the spirit of Jesus Christ that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. They are roommates. They are cohabitating inside of your heart and your soul. And they are fighting to pull you in one direction or the other. This is what the Bible teaches us. So you are saved because of the work of Jesus, but your sinful nature is trying to sabotage your life. So this is this, is this contradiction. This is what it means. It means on one hand, As Christians, we have to fully accept our sinful condition. We have to be honest about who we are, the truth about the kind of things we're capable of, the kind of things we want to do, that there is a sinful nature inside of us that is tempting us and pulling us away. And it doesn't do us any good as Christians to say, well, I'm a Christian now. I don't struggle with any of that. I don't want to do any of that stuff. You're a liar. You're a liar. Maybe that's your issue. You liar. We have to be honest about the truth about where we are and the things that we want to do and the things that we think. And you know the truth about you. I don't know the truth about you, but you know the truth about you. And none of us would want what's happening on our interior life broadcast on the screen. None of us would, right? And so on one hand, we cannot be naive or in denial about who we actually are and what we're capable of. And this is why Christians should be the most humble people on the planet because we know the truth. We know what our highlight reel looks like on our interior life. We know. And so you think that because we know the truth about ourselves, we would be so graceful and gracious and humble that there would be no reason for us to have any pride because we know the truth about ourselves. But unfortunately, in some weird way, we're actually prideful. We look down on other people, but a Christian who looks down on others still hasn't accepted the truth about grace and forgiveness about who they really are and why they need a savior. So this is, this is the one part where we're accepting the truth about our sinful condition. So we know that we're not better than anybody else. 
And we know that we're capable of doing the most disgusting, awful things that anybody in the world could do. When we see somebody who does something terrible, we don't go, how could they do that? We go, I'm capable of that. There's sin in there. I'm capable of that. So that's, that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, Jesus said that our lives are a light in a dark world. Jesus said that our lives are salt in a bland world. The apostle Paul told us that we should live above reproach. So Jesus and the apostle Paul say that in fact, our lives should be better because we know Jesus. Do you see the contradiction? So on one hand, we know that we're not better than anybody else because we know our sinful condition and we know what our highlight reel looks like. But on the other hand, Jesus and the apostle Paul says, because you have Jesus, you have the capability and the possibility to actually live better, to be an example. Your marriage could be an example. Your parenting could be an example. Your non-anxious presence could be an example because you have the power of Jesus on the inside of you. So you are a sinner who is saved, capable of both things. You're capable of great sin, but you're also capable of living a life greater than the sins that are tempting you because of Jesus. Now, the reason that I say all this is because when we talk about character and integrity, what we're not talking about is learning how to fake it. We're not talking about learning how to live like a Christian would live if, in fact, we do not want to live how a Christian Instead, we're talking about being the kind of person who actually wants to do the right things and doesn't want to do the wrong things. Does that make sense? So as Christians, we learn how to fake it a lot of times because now we're in church and we look around and we say, well, let's act like them. They've been here a long time. Let's act like them you know? And, and so then we, then we try to start acting a certain way, but Jesus talked about this all the time with the religious leaders. He says, okay, on the outside, you're acting a certain way, but I know what the inside's like. Well, when we talk about Christian character and integrity, we want the inside to be right. And that's going to make the outside right. But we don't want the outside to be right, but the inside to not be right. We're not talking about faking it. Okay, Christian character means genuinely living like a Christian because what's happening inside of you looks like what's happening on the outside of you. That there is a, 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 a correlation between the two. And there's a big difference between these two things. You know the difference, you live it. Unfortunately, religion teaches us how to act a certain way when we really don't wanna be that kind of person. We think we're not allowed to. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, we'll just use a couple of stereotypical examples here, okay? It's wanting to cuss someone out, but learning how to bite your tongue, because that's what Christians do. But if you had the chance, you could slice them and dice them. But that's not what Christians do. So you learned how to bite your tongue, right? Wanting to lie. I was just thinking about my, my third, um, my son Solomon. Uh, we've been teaching him how to bite his tongue, because he's a smart mouth. His vocabulary is too, too good. And I've been having to tell Solomon, like, Solomon, you can't talk like that, man. You got to bite your tongue. And so we've been working on this, teaching him what that means, you know, bite your tongue. And so now he'll, he'll get ready to say something smart, Alec, to his mom, and he'll go, what? Dad. <laughs> okay, well, that's good when you're eight. But if you're 38 or 58, hopefully we've gotten past that. We'll talk about that in a second. But maybe some of y'all need to be mm, right here, right? Okay, second, wanting to lie, 
but figuring out how to creatively sidestep, right? So this is how you say, okay, I really want to be dishonest, but I'm not going to be totally honest, but I'm going to figure out how to wiggle and sidestep this issue. Or uh, another example would be fantasizing about cheating, but never acting on it. Okay, so, so we know what these things feel like, the sinful nature inside of us, okay? There is something to be said for not doing what you're tempted to do. Don't hear me saying that that doesn't count. There's, there's something to be said about not doing what you're tempted to do, but you can only do that for so long. You will eventually be the person that you really wanna be, okay? Christian character is about becoming like Jesus, not just in action, but in essence. Doing what Jesus would do in my exact situation because I'm the kind of person who wants to do what Jesus would do. We're not just saying what would Jesus do because we're mad because we have to do it. We actually want to be the kind of person who would do what Jesus would do in our exact situation. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. We're not made to do these things. We want to be that kind of person. So this looks like instead of learning how to bite your tongue, you're the kind of person who is not overly reactive and wants to cuss people out. So you come to Jesus and you do have a hot temper and you do use your words to hurt people. And there is a season in where you learn how to, uh, you know, not act that way, right? But eventually, as we grow to be more like Christ, we don't want to just be biting our tongue. We want to become the kind of person who in those situations doesn't react that way. You know why? Because Jesus wouldn't react that way. We know he modeled it for us. Or um, instead of learning how to sidestep the truth, we're the kind of person who wants to be honest. We know the consequences of that. And so we, we want to be honest. You know why? Because Jesus would be honest. Does that make sense to everybody? I, I wanted to explain that because I think when we get in church, we become a Christian, we can spend the first six months packaging everything right, but never get to the interior of our life and let Jesus change us into a different kind of person. And, and, and we'll talk about that this fall, actually. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about it. But I love the way that David Brooks defines character. He wrote a great book called The Road to Character, and I would highly recommend it. But he says, um, character is when your values align with your actions. I thought it was just a simple, great way. He says, character is when your values align with your actions. So I guess the, a great question would be, do you have any values? Do you know what your values are? You do have values. You do have things that are most important to you, but have you actually ever clarified them? Because if, you know, when it comes to values, like in the corporate world, there are practiced values and aspirational values. Practiced values are what you actually do. It's like you show up late. One of your values is it's not important to be on time. But if I said, is that one of your values? You'd be like, of course not. But based on what you do, we know that one of your values is it doesn't matter if you're on time aspirational value says we want to welcome everyone, but you don't welcome anyone. You want it to be true, but it's not true yet. Does that make sense? Okay. So you have values in your life, practiced values and aspirational values. And what we want is we want Christian values to line up with our actions. Okay. There's examples of this in the Bible. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? If you know that story, He's working for Potiphar. He's very uh, powerful in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife keeps hitting on Joseph. I mean, coming at him hard. I mean, wanting to sleep with him every day, trying to seduce him and, and going at him hardcore. And Joseph would not sleep with her. And do you remember, if you know the story, do you remember the reason he gave for not doing it, right? 
He didn't say, well, we can't do it because we'd get caught. He didn't say, well, we can't do it because I'm into blondes and you're a brunette. No, this is why he said he couldn't do it. He says, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph didn't do it because we see at least two values right here. He wanted to be trustworthy and honoring to the people who empowered him. And he did not want to sin against God. So he chose not to do it because of his values. This is value-based living. The reason I can't do it is because I can't do that to God. I can't do that to my boss. There's another story in the Old Testament where David had the chance to kill King Saul and become the king. And Saul, it's a crazy story if you've read it, if you haven't read it, but Saul is like looking for David. He's trying to kill David. He needs to go use the bathroom in a cave. And he doesn't know that David and his men are hiding in there. So it's pitch black and he's just relieving himself. And David has the chance to kill him. And matter of fact, David's men are like, this has to be God's will because look, God has just put it up on a tee for you and like, do it. David wouldn't do it. Even though people were telling him it was God's will, this is what David said. David said, uh, but then it says, verse five, David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. So he, he walks up and he, just to prove a point, he just cuts off a little piece of his robe, which I think Saul would notice, but maybe not. Um, and he said to his men, this is what David said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the King. I should not ta- attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. This is value-based living. David couldn't do it because he wanted to be the kind of person who honored authority, even authority that was trying to kill him. We don't really have a value-based society as much anymore. So if you have a boss who's trying to like set you up for a crime and you go to your friends and you're like, hey, my boss is trying to set me up for a crime, but I just want to honor him. Your friends would be like, what? That's a bad example. But you understand my point. Like, we, we go to our friends and we say like, yeah, this person did this or the coach did this or my boss did this. And they're like, oh, you need to, you need to get rid of them. Like, instead of what we see here in David saying like, based on my values and what I believe to be true about God, I can't do this. I can't do it. And these stories, Joseph and David's values made their decisions for them. When you have values, your decisions are made ahead of time. And their values and their actions aligned. Now, of course, if you know anything about Joseph and David, you know that this was not always true about them. They made mistakes. David had an affair, killed the mistress's husband. I mean, it was bad, right? Joseph was a little arrogant punk sometimes. And so they were not perfect. And what we're not talking about is achieving per- perfection or never messing up. But I am suggesting that if you don't know what your values are, you'll never consistently live by them. You'll just keep reacting. You'll do in that moment whatever you're doing in that moment, okay? So that's one important point, uh, important, important part blah, 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 of value-based living, making better choices. If you, if you are live ba- living based on your values, you will make better choices. But there's another benefit that we don't often think about. And we see it in Nehemiah's story here, principle we're gonna take today is that when you know what your values are and when you know that your values line up with your actions, 
It allows you to handle criticism better. And it allows you to not be intimidated by what others say about you because you know the truth. In verse eight, Nehemiah said, when they come five times, five different times and are lying about uh, Nehemiah's motives, he wants, he's doing this because he has impure motives. He wants to be the king. He's gonna try to make a coup. In verse eight, Nehemiah said, there is no truth to any of your story. And in verse 13, Nehemiah said, they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin and they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. Unfortunately, if you decide to rebuild something that is ruined or you try to make something better, there will be people who try to discredit you. I'm not talking about your haters. I can't stand the hater talk. You're not that important. We don't have a lot of haters, okay? People are thinking about themselves, not you, okay? So I'm not, this is not like haters gonna hate Taylor Swift, Jason, Jesus kind of thing where it's like, let's talk about our haters, okay? That's quite the combo there. Jesus, Taylor Swift, and Jason. But anyway, we're not talking about haters, okay? But we are talking about the real reality that if you take a bold, courageous step to rebuild something that's ruined, to try to make something better, to change the status quo, I promise you, there will be people who will criticize you and will try to discredit you. And on a few rare occasions, it will be because they are awful people and they hate you and they're trying to destroy your life. I guess that's, that's the haters maybe that Taylor Swift was talking about. But most of the time, it's simply because hurt people hurt people. Yeah. That the people who are criticizing you or just trying to discredit you, they're just wounded people, hurt people. And they don't realize how defensive and reactive they are. And the reason I know that is because we don't realize how defensive and reactive we are when we criticize and discredit others. But I think we also have to be careful that we don't read this story and assume that we're Nehemiah. This is, a, this is a, uh, something that happens when we read the Bible a lot. We assume that like, we're Abraham, we're Noah, we're you know, David, we're... It's easy to read this story and it's like, I know what Nehemiah feels like. I mean, just constantly, just barrage of criticism and intimidation we may act more like Sambala than Nehemiah, right? It's easy to read the Bible and to assume that we're Joseph, not Potiphar's wife, or we're Jesus, not the religious leaders. But we have to be careful because we're more messed up than we give ourselves credit for that sinful nature inside of us. If I was being honest about myself, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. If I was being honest about myself, I can see ways that I am like Sambala and Tobiah. I can see ways that I try to criticize and discredit people. And a lot of times not even realize that I'm doing it because it's so second nature. I wrote down a couple for me. Maybe you can relate to these. There are a lot of times where I assume that someone has bad motives, even though I actually have no idea what their motives are. When you're criticizing somebody, you're rarely criticizing what they're doing. You're criticizing why you think they're doing it. So when you criticize somebody else's parenting, it's not what they're doing, it's why you think they do it. Or somebody in business or who buys a house or makes money or whatever it is that they do, you're questioning their motives. And we don't even realize a lot of times that we just assume people have bad motives, but it's really because if we were in that same position, we would do it for the wrong reason. So we assume everybody's like us. Another one for me is I criticize people uh, around other people, but never to their face. 
this is a way that you discredit people and you don't realize you're discrediting them, is when you're around people and that person's name comes up or what they're trying to do, you criticize it without even realizing you're criticizing them. But then when you're around them, you're like, I'm so proud of you. That is great. That's awesome. You're doing great. And then you get around your friends, you're like, they are so stupid. I don't know what they're thinking, right? Another way that I do this is I look at people who are doing something uh, successful or well, and I assume that they're lucky, but I'm hardworking. They didn't get there because of hard work. They got there because of some fortunate circumstance. But the reason I'm not there is because I haven't had their circumstances. I'm hardworking. They're lucky. That's a way to discredit people. Another one is thinking I would never do what they did without realizing that I do it all the time. You criticize and, and discredit people and you, you give yourself the benefit of the doubt. And you say, well, I would never lie like that or I would never cheat or steal like that or I would never gossip like that or I would never raise my kid like that or whatever, whatever, whatever. And um, you don't realize that you do it all the time. Um, I was talking to someone recently about um, some struggles I was having being very critical about a certain, certain group of people that I'd been hanging out with. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it was sports parents. I, I've, I've been really struggling with the soccer parents lately. And um, so I was just rambling and ranting about it. And, uh, and this person I was talking to said, you know, you could probably relate to them more than you think. And I was like, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And this is, what, this is what they said. They said, next time you're like really critical because they're, what they're saying or how they're acting or what they're driving or what they're, whatever. Instead of thinking about exactly what they're saying, try to understand why they would act that way. And I bet if you can articulate why they're acting that way, I bet you'd be able to go, I know what that feels like. So if you think somebody's being, you know, bragging too much because they're insecure, you know what it feels like to be insecure. So maybe you wouldn't say what they would say, but you can go, I know what that feels like. If you feel like they need to prove themselves or you feel like they're trying to, you know, show who they are, or you feel like they're offended or you feel whatever reason you think they're doing what they're doing. And you don't know, but if you think, you know, you can, you know what that feels like. And he said, so when you start getting around people that are, that you're, you're being judgmental of, Try to identify why you think they're doing it and you will realize that you feel that way all the time too. And you do things to not feel that way. And then maybe that's what they're doing. That, got, that was great advice. It was great advice because now as much as I can, when I'm around people and I'm like, I can't believe. And can you believe, or you're scrolling through and you, I can't believe. And you're discrediting people in your mind, discrediting, discrediting, discrediting. And you're elevating yourself. What I've tried to start doing is saying like, Man, I can't believe they posted that, but I know what that feels like. I can't believe they said that, but I know what that feels like. I can't believe they would act like that, but I know what that feels like because we all do. And so these are, these are ways that if we're not careful, we try to discredit people. And these are ways that people try to discredit us. And whenever you decide to do something bold or courageous or take the chance to rebuild something that's ruined, people will try to discredit you and intimidate you and they will make it sound like it's some noble reason. That's what Sambala and Tobiah are doing. This is about the king. This is about, you know, the land. We're worried about what you're trying to do for the greater good. They're gonna make it sound like it's about the greater good, but it's almost always because of their insecurity and jealousy. And you know why I know that? Because it's about our insecurity and jealousy when we do it to other people, okay? 
And so if, you're, if, if, if you would say, I'm trying to raise children differently, and I'm, I'm passionate about this. This is a value of mine, the way that I'm trying to raise my children, and I'm not gonna raise my children like everybody else, but I'm passionate about this. I can promise you that there will be people who will discredit you. They'll question your motives. They'll call you crazy. They'll, they'll, they'll make it sound like it's about your children and they're worried for your kids. If you say, I wanna build a business on different principles than everybody else builds theirs on, I can promise you people will try to discredit you. You wanna be a different kind of teacher, different kind of administrator. You wanna live your life differently? You wanna live your life based on Christian values? I can promise you people will try to discredit you. Whether they realize they're doing it or not, they will try to discredit you. They will say things about you that are untrue, they will question your motives. They'll try to intimidate you. And when that time comes, we can learn from Nehemiah. And we could learn a few principles, but we don't have time for that. I'm not gonna give you a few principles. I'm gonna give you one. Here's the biggest takeaway we can learn from Nehemiah when we feel criticized and people are trying to discredit us and intimidate us. Here it is. Nehemiah wasn't intimidated because he knew what they, said, what they were saying wasn't true. Nehemiah wasn't intimidated because he knew what they were saying wasn't true. This is so simple. Matter of fact, I just said it and some of you are like, what, that's it? Yep, that's it. This is so simple, but so uncommon. Nehemiah didn't have any secrets. Nehemiah didn't have any impure motives. He wasn't sneaking away at night after work to the local strip joint. He wasn't borrowing money from a bookie for a dice game on the backside of tent four, okay? He really was who he projected himself to be, who he presented himself to be, what he told people he was doing and for the reasons he told them he was doing it. That really was true, really was true. And I think we can all admit that this is more rare than it should be. We could all tell heartbreaking stories of leaders or parents or bosses or people that we trusted who lost our trust because there was a character flaw or integrity issue. You found out something about somebody and you found out that they were not who you thought they were. Now listen, nobody is perfect and you may have elevated that person too much in your eyes and that happens all the time. But I think even if we come down from that scale a little bit, there are people that we look up to in a healthy way. There should be people that we look up to in a healthy way. Pastors and youth pastors and bosses and leaders, we should look up to them and say, you know what? There is something about their life that's different than my life. And I would like to learn from them and follow them and trust them. But we're so, we, we, we have come to distrust authority so much in our society and culture because we look around at the authority that we trusted and it seems as if time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, there was a two-faced hypocrisy secret life. I said, what's the point? Why trust when it seems like everyone's lying? But even in our own lives, I think it would be fair to say that we have things about us that we hope are never made public. We're all a little less honest than we act like we are. But if you wanna be the mom that you wanna be and begin again on that family structure or the dad you wanna be or the spouse you wanna be 
or the team member you want to be or the business owner that you want to be or the teacher that you want to be or the whatever it is you're trying to rebuild, whatever it is you're trying to do, if you want to be that, what we learn from Nehemiah is the best way to try to do that is to actually genuinely be who you tell people you are. Don't have two lives. Don't be trying to be or rebuild something and be the persona or the character that you think you need to be in order to do what it is you're trying to accomplish and then have a secret, separate life over here because eventually, at some point, what you've worked so hard to build will be gone because the truth about who you are will come out. And so here's the little phrase that's been running around in my mind all week about myself and my own life. As a pastor, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me as well. As a pastor, I understand the gravity of this. And here's the little statement I've been writing, running around in my head this week. You can't stop people from lying about you, but you can stop lying about you. You can't stop people from lying about you, but you can stop lying about you. And here's what I know. There are people in this room right now who want to do great things for God, rebuild things that are ruined, but you are living with secrets and double lives and you're carrying a massive burden that is keeping you from fulfilling everything God has for you. Stop lying. Come clean. Find freedom. I don't remember what the number is now. The last time I heard, I think it was close to 30, maybe more than 30 people who are going through our CR step study right now looking to find freedom from hurts and habits and hangups. It's amazing. Some of you have been living with secrets for so long, decades, decades. Come clean. Find freedom. Stop lying. Because if you worked really, 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 really hard, you maybe could build the thing over here that you want to build while carrying the burden of the secrets over here. You probably could do it for an extended period of time if you worked really, really hard. But I promise you, at some point, it will come crashing down because of the secrets that you're carrying with you. So my challenge for you is to really be who you act like you are. You will not be perfect, but you can be honest. Hear me. What I am saying today is not, you don't get to make any more mistakes. What I'm saying is stop lying about where you are and who you are and be honest be honest. I'm going to read one more verse to you, and then the team's going to come. We're going to have communion and prayer. But my, my, my absolute go-to passage of Scripture right now in the Bible is Psalm. It's really all of Ch uh, Psalm 25. Uh, our team would tell you I talk about it a lot. Um, I try to read it every morning. I don't read it every morning because I don't read my Bible every day. <gasps> I try, but sometimes by the time I wake up, the kids have already made a mess and then my whole day's off track. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, but almost every day I try to read Psalm 25 and uh, I love the whole chapter. I love verse 21 at the end where it says, may integrity and honesty protect me for I put my hope in you. I love that one. But the first three verses uh, I've, I've been trying to memorize. I haven't got there yet. But the first three verses of Psalm 25 say this, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. 
Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. I guess the reason I love this verse so much is because, you know, based on my personality and the way God made me, I like being disgraced is one of my worst fears. Um, I want to be credible. Like it's, it's a long story, but it's just the way that I am. And so being disgraced is like one of my worst fears. And so this verse resonates with me so much because I want to actually be the person you think I am. I want to be genuinely the real deal. That's what I want to be. And I don't want to be disgraced and discredited. And there's two ways to go about that. You can either try to be really, really good at crafting a public life, or you can just try to build the foundation based on integrity and honesty so that you can't be disgraced or discredited because you know there's no truth to any of it. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me is that is that we won't be people who try to deceive others in so many subtle ways that we don't even recognize, that we won't be people who try to deceive others, but that we will live with character and integrity and honesty and be protected by that. I'm gonna pray for us. Our team's gonna come and lead us uh, in a song. Think we got time? Or do I need to go ahead and do it? The announcement. It's already, is it 11.20 for real? Okay. I'm gonna pray for us. And sorry, I was just asking Katie something. Um, I'm gonna pray for us. And then Kaylee, if you'll wait on me, I'm gonna go ahead and do some announcement. Okay, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that our savior was the perfect example of a life without sin. We cannot attain that but we can model after that the best we can with the help of the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that we would stop lying to ourselves, working so hard to craft two different personas or images. I pray that we'd be people of character and integrity like Nehemiah, God. I pray that we would know the truth about our life, our interior life, and it would um, be honorable and honest. I pray for every person in the room right now who's carrying secrets, living with secrets, I pray, God, that you would help them to have the courage to come clean, to find freedom, and to live with honesty and integrity, to be protected by honesty and integrity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.